Welcome to Modern Prophets, where we chronicle the riveting stories and hard-won wisdom of individuals with addiction who have found recovery. You know, it feels like I've lived 30 years in just 10 years, but I've just been on a, a roller coaster of highs and lows, and um, I found a, a really lethal combination of Adderall and alcohol and cigarettes that it felt like it could like activate some superhuman power in me and just I could block everything out and it was essentially the cure to the pain it was really like the start of my um, legitimate success as a songwriter and also my downfall because you could only I mean I would go into sessions just completely loaded and, and tequila in the coffee cup drinking rosé that was like crystallized in your in my car that's like sitting out overnight in the sun and just chugging it just to get by I thought I was drugged you know I was really good at masking the pain and masking the problem the thought crossed my mind like if I get pulled over so be it if I die so be it if I make it home I will I will quit drinking tomorrow and then I figured I would take one more crack at drinking just to make sure that I had a problem. And that lasted for about six very dark months. Hey everybody, how you guys doing? What's happening? My name is Ryan Keneally. I am your host. Welcome or welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you here. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying or finding value in these episodes, please be sure to leave a review, follow so you don't miss an episode, and share the podcast with others. My guest today is Allie. Allie wears several hats on a daily basis, managing a variety of roles, including those of a wife, mother, Grammy-nominated and multi-platinum selling songwriter, philanthropist, and beloved member of the 12-step community, with eight years of sobriety. Allie began writing songs at age 14, and she's written for some of the greatest singers, DJs, and pop stars of our generation. Kelly Clarkson, Christina Aguilera, Demi Lovato, John Legend, Ozzy Osbourne, DJ Snake, Kygo, Justin Bieber, Camila Cabello, Shawn Mendes, Selena Gomez, Miley Cyrus, Dua Lipa, I could go on, there's many. Allie grew up in South Florida, but she moved to Los Angeles at 20 years old to pursue her dream of becoming an artist, a dream which later evolved into a prolific career as a songwriter. In our conversation today, Allie gives us an intimate window into her life, into the roller coaster of the music industry, as she recounts both the apex of her success as a songwriter and the nadir of her alcohol use. From co-writing her first big hit, Kelly Clarkson's three-time Grammy-nominated Stronger, the stress to craft a sustainable career soon morphed into a dependence on alcohol, or what Allie terms liquid courage, for confidence and relief. That slippery slope soon evolved into waking up and needing a drink, sneaking alcohol into studio sessions, and eventually driving home drunk, not knowing if she'd come out the other side alive with a DUI or in the rooms of AA. Allie talks about the industry's glamorized dark side, the pain of writing without alcohol or stimulants, what her first year of sobriety looked like, 
relearning how to do the things that once brought her joy, to not be stimulated all the time, and ultimately finding more balance. Her first hit after getting sober was DJ Snake and Justin Bieber's Let Me Love You, and others immediately followed, all of which contain lyrics and melodies that reflect many of the personal experiences she opens up about in our conversation today. Allie credits much of the success in her career and personal life to the clarity and self-awareness that came through sobriety and working a 12-step program. I know I say this every time, but there's so much value in this episode, whether you're struggling with alcohol or relentlessly pursuing dopamine and distraction through your phone or work to avoid any sense of discomfort. I promise you will walk away from this conversation having learned something. And for all that Allie has accomplished in just 33 years of her life, she's a remarkably humble, beautiful, down-to-earth woman who's also gone on to launch the Creative Waves Foundation with her mom, a nonprofit that provides musical equipment and after-school programs to kids in underserved communities. Her perspective on life continues to shift, but remains so powerful, and her story is nothing short of extraordinary. Allie, mm-hmm. I tend to start these podcasts in a very similar way, and I think in your case, it's never been more pertinent to start in that way, which is to understand your context better. Cool. I've got to be honest, I, I read a lot about you online, mm-hmm. a Grammy-nominated songwriter with an extensive, impressive songwriting discography, but I couldn't really get to the very crux of, of who you are and the ways in which certain experiences have shaped you and your whole trajectory. So briefly, what do I need to know about you and your earliest years to understand the person you went on to be and all the things you went on to do? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, I, um, I come from a um, family of five. Um, and my, I am right in the middle. I have uh, two older brothers and um, a younger brother and a younger sister. I'm from Florida, and my whole adolescence was, um, you know, let's see. I mean, right now, I feel like an entirely different person to who I was as a young girl. I am 33 years old and I just had a baby four weeks ago and it's just shifted so many things for me and I, you know, I always had a dream of being a mother, but I never, there was definitely a time when I was um, in the thick of my addiction that I thought, you know, this was just impossible, mm-hmm. but um, here I am at eight years sober and I am yeah I'm I'm married and I've got a beautiful baby boy and I'm I feel really living in in gratitude and in in a in a good place in my life and um but still you know like I am a victim of my mind and I still struggle on a daily basis and there's plenty of areas that need you know, improvement and daily practice, which I fail to do. Um, but you know, there's always today and there's always, you know, one day at a time. So yeah. 
If I asked the 14 or 15-year-old version of you what you wanted to be when you grew up, what would you have told me? Probably some form of an artist, a singer. I think that was really, me. I'd say a singer. Do you remember where the desire to to sing or to write songs came from? Mm, it's probably Barney and Friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and my grandfather, um, he had a beautiful voice and he always encouraged me to to sing and, and to um, stay in tune. <laughs> and, you know, he was a really big advocate for the arts. And my mom, of course, was my, our school principal growing up. And she always put together state-of-the-art theater programs and music programs and stuff. So we had that luxury growing up in school. So what were some of your first experiences singing and then later songwriting? Um, I... I'd say like the talent shows at school and I was involved in the school plays and involved in uh, music groups and all sorts of things. I mean, it really took up most of my time. I, I just loved it growing up. And um, and then, yeah, and then I, when I was about 15, I started to take it more seriously and I was signed and dropped and did, went through the whole, you know, obstacle course of of career, early career stuff, and realized that, you know, that there was more uh, stability and as a songwriter, and I had, you know, I was able to shift the focus away from myself, which was really good. Do you feel like you missed out on on some formative or quote-unquote normal childhood or teen experiences? Like, did you feel like you lived a life that was separate from music, from your career? Well, I didn't really, I, you know, grew up, I, my parents were divorced when I was young. Um, and so I don't think, you know, the quote unquote normalcy was available whether or not I chose to, 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 to follow my, my dreams. Um, and I think had I had grown up in a household with two healthy married parents, yeah, I would say that that normalcy you know, it would, I think, yeah, I do think in a lot of ways I, I lacked the, yeah, I think my moral compass was sort of skewed by, you know, unconventional, an unconventional path for, for a young girl. But yeah, I think, you know, I probably wouldn't have it any other way now, you know. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, when you look back on your younger years, how do you think that working so hard on your career at such a young age affected you, if at all? Um, and walk me through some of those early career experiences. Cause yeah, I I had been really developing um, my craft for, you know, I think I put in my 10,000 hours before I was 22. Um it was a huge part of like extracurricular activities in school and you know my my friend group they were all singers and dancers and actors and so I was always surrounded by the arts and I think that that um sort of set me off on the the path that I'm on now which is it just breaks my heart to think about you know the lack of that those programs in schools today um but 
gosh, it started really when I was 15. I was signed to um, a German producer called Frank Farian. He um, he signed like Boney M and Millie Vanilli, really big European acts. And, um, and we made an album together, we made a music video, and then that started to fizzle out when I was about 17. And I was, I just, there was, you know, there's so much like the, you know, I, in, and that was when I was still living in Florida. So when I was 16, I, I got my uh, high school diploma as quickly as I could. I did like a homeschooling program, an online program. And then I went and to a uh, school of audio engineering in Miami and, and I finished that program within about a year then I just was working in Miami as, you know, trying as I would jump into any available studio session or I'd take any opportunity that was music related. And, um, I, yeah, I was there at that time. Fortunately, there was a industry in Miami, which there's actually, it's come back now full force. There were plenty of opportunities to, to work with people. And I, went down every avenue in Florida that I possibly could until I feel like if until I felt like I really I ran out of opportunities down there and then when I was 22 I moved to LA and that's sort of when everything started to rev up with um with my career and just the opportunities there's just so many talented artists and writers and producers just at our fingertips in this in this city so I fortunately knew enough people to help get me in the right rooms and people took shots on me and it was I got really lucky in that way but moving out here at such an early age without the proper guidance or emotional tools um, I think really had an impact on you know my alcoholism and it just really fueled the fire of just being out here with a one you know a sort of one track mind of making it in the music industry which you know, I think that the music industry <laughs> wasn't, isn't, was never concerned with my health and well being. Mm. Um, and then just a bunch of bad relationships and that sort of, I think that drove me to the bottom quicker. I want to dig into that relationship because in a previous interview, you mentioned holding on to seven year long toxic relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you felt it gave you a sense of purpose. But in that relationship, you felt like you really meant something to someone. So looking back again, what type of an impact do you think that relationship had on your well-being, on your self-esteem, early career? Oh, so much. Um, At this point in my life, um, looking back at that relationship, I see it very different. I'm sure even to how I saw it when I did that previous interview, it's just... You know, I, I have empathy for that person and I, yeah, it just, it, it was a part of my, you know, my story and it shaped me and it sort of gave me resilience and it taught me exactly the person that I, you know, it taught me like what kind of partner I, I want to be with and things that I should avoid and, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, there were just clear patterns when I looked, you know, back at really throughout my whole 20s of things that I, you know, just similar patterns that I would repeat that would yield the same result. And um, so that was really helpful as a roadmap for for my 30s. And I think 
at that time, he served such a huge portion of my life, you know, because I was 14 to, to 22 and or however old. Yeah. But it was, you know, I hadn't really made it out into the world yet. I hadn't really had a bunch of experiences or relationships. I just sort of knew that that one love is like, you know, everything. And I sort of based everything around that. And, and I think, you know, for him, it was somewhat similar. And we went through so much together, something that I would never wish on any 14 year old girl of just, you know, health issues and just, there's just so much trauma. And so I think it gave me a lot of inspiration um, in my music to write about after just a ton of pain and it had a you know a serious impact on my self-worth and and um I was in love and I was afraid to be alone mm-hmm. I think and yeah I had this vision of what that relationship should be and would be and and I held on tight to that idea even though it was damaging for both of us really and I think that breakup was really the first time I experienced like just gut-wrenching heartbreak and I needed my mom to come out and stay with me and um, that day I, I had a session a songwriting session in about a couple hours away from where I was staying and I really didn't want to go and my mom uh, on the you know got me out of bed and and on the way to the session she said the famous quote what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and uh, and I remember wanting to die and regardless if it made me stronger to stay alive. But I got to the session and I turned that quote into the song that's out now. And um, it was an extremely cathartic process for me. And it really helped uh, launch me into the next phase of my career and solidified my, my name as a songwriter. But it also, I think, prematurely set me off into a place in the music industry that I wasn't I think, emotionally prepared for. So I felt just constant, you know, the constant pressure to follow up that song. And um, What led up to that breakup? Why, why did you ultimately leave the relationship? Well, I moved, um, I moved out of town. I moved to LA and I could just recognize, you know, really unhealthy behavior. And, um, and he, I believe he started dating someone else. It was just, it just had to come to an end, really. But yeah, I mean, it's so hard to, to like think back on that now because it just feels like a lifetime ago in so many ways. But but it feels like a lifetime ago. It also like still feels um, like so much a part of me in a way. And like, and I never, you never get the closure from something like that. So that gut-wrenching pain when the relationship ended, what happens after that? Well, I found Adderall. (laughs) Adderall sort of, uh, in a lot of ways, saved my life during that time just because it got me up out of bed. It it, um, helped me really sort of, it guided my focus into into just work. And um, and that, that served me for a little bit. And... And then it just became, you know, I think it served me for about five years after that breakup. But um, I found a a, um, a really lethal combination of 
Adderall and alcohol and cigarettes that just, it felt like it could like activate some superhuman power Mm -hmm. in me and just, I could block everything out. And it was essentially the cure to the pain. Um, And, and it made me do a lot of reckless things and my, um, yeah, it just, it just really, I, I felt like, um, it was the limitless drug, you know, that just like I could do no wrong and it worked for a while. And, um, and then, you know, and so for, for about five years, there was, you know, I had some successes. It was really like the start of my, I'd say, um, legitimate success as a songwriter and also like my downfall as a songwriter too. Um, because you could only, I mean, I would go into sessions just completely loaded and, and, and I wouldn't remember what I would write or it was just acting out and, and it, it is eventually got me in the end. I couldn't sustain living that way and driving drunk and, and, um, yeah, it was just really, really reckless and really, it was just a real example of the pain that I was in and I was just living that out loud. Um, but yeah. So Adderall kept you focused, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was alcohol that was sort of the, the miracle salve that allowed you to comport yourself Mm -hmm. with confidence in the studio to interact with new collaborators what relief was it that you were looking for with alcohol and how did how did that come to be how did that relationship come to be in your view I was just you know looking to escape myself entirely um and I I loved the confidence that it gave me it allowed me to just speak and and live free from inhibition and I could just really do whatever I I wanted and um just it it sort of accelerated my ignorance and like I just yeah I felt and delusion and I I needed that delusion living in LA and that delusion helped me you know, barge through the closed doors. And, um, it was just the solution really for me. It was when I would go to work every day and I felt creatively blocked in a very high pressured industry. I could rely on alcohol to carry me through and somehow figure out ways to, to, not fuck everything up entirely, but, um, you know, looking back at it now, I just see, you know, a, a very scared, insecure girl who just was looking for outside validation for everything. And, um, and it, it, alcohol worked. It worked to, you know, turn down the noise and, and the, and the doubt and the shame and the guilt and everything, it just, and it only, and it amplified the good feelings. Um, 
but all of those negative feelings were waiting for me the next morning and that's why I picked up another drink every single day because I couldn't face that side of myself I couldn't face um the pain and I just wanted to feel good I wanted to feel free I wanted to feel you know I I liked the attention that I would get at work when I was when I was high and drunk I liked the attention I'd get out at night I could talk to anyone any was just I you know it was completely limitless and completely dependent on that for everything it was my life support really I couldn't wake up I couldn't get out of bed I couldn't do anything without it but yeah it just it has a it has a it has a dark side and it has an expiration date and um and eventually I think I I surrendered to it and I just allowed it to make uh, I'd say it was like the last night before I went on my sobriety journey I I remember exactly actually I was driving on the 405 and the thought crossed my mind like if I get pulled over so be it if I die so be it if I make it home I will I will quit drinking tomorrow and I made it home and um I started the next day I I called um a woman that I had met through my mom who um really just gave me the support and she she came and stayed with me for about two weeks um and just really got me into going into the program into AA and I was familiar with AA because my dad is I don't know, 30 plus years sober my mom um is now I think nine years sober and it was just it was sort of like our church growing up my dad would always take us to meetings so I I knew the the format but I needed someone to hold me accountable so that was great I sort of did like an in-home rehab program and I did that for about a month and then I figured I would take one more crack at drinking just to make sure that I had a problem and that lasted for about six very dark months and eventually just to wind back up in in the rooms and and that's really when my sobriety started did you ever talk to anybody about your struggles prior to that moment driving in the car on your last night before your first attempt I'm sure you know I think I had expressed it to my dad I um I but you know, I was really good at masking the pain and masking the problem. Um, so really just like a, only a couple of people, my really close friends knew and tried to shed some light on getting help, but ultimately it had to be my decision. And, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, fortunately I, I, I had the willingness eventually. How did it impact your work? I just, the 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 product wasn't wasn't very good you know I think I was borderline blacked out in most of my sessions towards the end so I think you have this false idea that you're making you know incredible art because it feels good because you're high and but ultimately like I couldn't the the songs were unlistenable in the morning 
so did it bring you the same pleasure it once brought you or brings you today did you feel connected to that creative outlet in the process yeah there's definitely moments that I have that now I mean when you're (laughs) when you're speedballing though there's like you know that sort of euphoric feeling is really hard to to emulate that exact feeling Mm -hmm. but yeah I mean I definitely have moments of of you know feeling like some real you know spiritual awakenings in the process now and it feels way healthier and balanced um that you can't really harness those you know that part of the process it kind of just comes when when everything is really aligned and um it's like a some kind of like yeah it's like an uncontrollable higher power force that comes through the creative channel when it happens but it's what keeps me going back to work and yeah do you think that at at any point in your life you had a sort of problematic relationship with work it's really what it required in order to get where I wanted to go so I don't think you know I I think I I knew that if I wanted to succeed um, in this industry, I had to work harder and longer than anyone else. And I was surrounded by people that had that same mentality, and it had to be that way. You know, I, I, I think I enjoyed it, so it, it didn't, it didn't feel. Um, it just felt like second nature. And also, I think that my well-being and, and sobriety suffered for that. Were you were you at all defined by your work? Or did you feel like you had an identity separate from your no, career? No, I definitely was defined by it. Um, and it took really, like, getting, sort of stepping back from the usual grind that I was in. I was sort of forced to step back just because I wasn't feeling good. And um, mm-hmm. I just wanted a different life for myself and a change so I moved closer to the beach and there weren't like any like abrupt changes in my life it sort of was a gradual process um of slowing down and and so fortunately I don't think I had to anything really suffered because it was just it was so gradual it was like the pandemic was a great time to take a break you know it was a it allowed me to, you know, shift my perspective and rethink a lot of things. And pregnancy, I, I mean, I was really unwell during, for nine months of just physically just drained and, and emotionally. And that really slowed me to, it forced me to slow down. And, and then here I am taking care of this baby and, you know, just sort of rethinking what the future looks like. When you were working, did you feel like you needed to be validated by the room or the new artist to in a in a sense confirm either to them or to yourself that you were skilled enough to work in the professional songwriting league and deserving of being at the table with these sort of seasoned creatives did I feel like I needed their validation Mm -hmm. yeah of course you know that's something that I I I still sort of struggle with is like needing the outside validation for my self-worth and yeah I think if I don't check in with myself I can easily fall slip back into that 
that unhealthy way of thinking. It's a very vulnerable place uh, going into the studio and and writing a song. And I think in some days it's with people that you're meeting for the first time and and you got to jump right into it and your delivery, the way that you perform in the room will ensure whether or not you get asked to come back. So that's a lot of pressure. And yeah. I hope you don't mind. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to ask that you recount your your darkest days, your rock bottom moment, and if not a rock bottom moment, a particularly painful memory uh, during the nadir of your alcohol use. And if you can, try to describe it as best you can to take us into that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I had, I thought I was drugged at a like an after party somewhere at at, um like some award thing and I was in the bathroom and I passed out in the bathroom and somebody found me and I was taken to Cedar sinai and and turns out I didn't wasn't drugged it was just severe severe alcohol poisoning and and my boyfriend that I was seeing at the time showed up to the hospital it was just a embarrassing very embarrassing moment and I knew that I mean the nurse came out and said to me that like if I didn't stop based on my alcohol consumption that I would have severe liver failure and that was just very alarming for somebody at 24 to hear that I think that was that was definitely a significant milestone in my (laughs) alcoholism and then I think it really was that night that I was driving home from Malibu I think it was on the 405 and or the 101 and just having I can actually put myself there at that particular moment and thinking like you know there's three there's there's three routes like that can there's three things that can happen here but yeah I think that was those two were pretty played a pretty significant role how far apart were those two moments um, I think about within probably about six months. In in between those rock bottom moments, or I guess during that point in your life, were you did you feel detached from what you were creating? I know you, you mentioned yeah, sometimes for sure you can get lost in that in that show and lose sight of you know you're just wanting your idea to be heard and and hoping that it's a good idea and people notice that it's you that gave that idea and yeah so it that can definitely take you out so at what point did you realize that uh getting sober was was the most important thing above all first when i had no other options that was it it was that or 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 die I guess when you first ventured into sobriety you didn't take time off of work right a real break to get sober initially no I I think I because I did an in in home rehab situation I just I wanted to rip the band-aid off for better or for worse just because I knew it, it was going to be uncomfortable I knew writing without a stimulant was going to be, you know, it would take me, I, I mean, there was about a year that my brain just felt like scrambled eggs and I was 
Yeah, I, I just was so reliant on that liquid courage to, to, you know, fuel the inspiration. And, um, so yeah, I think I never really, it took me a long time to get, to uncover like what was at the root of the issue because I was just so preoccupied with, you know, just maintaining my life and, and I wanted to make sure that, yeah, I, I still had a handle on that. Yeah, I think there were there was a lot, you know, even though I was in the program, I wasn't really going through the steps initially the way that I should have been. Um, so I was just sort of like a, a dry drunk, I guess, out there. <laughs> have you ever reflected on that crossroads moment in your life? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've played it all the way out. It doesn't, it isn't a good end result. <laughs> so... I just it for me it's like if I had if I need to try and manage something it's probably unmanageable you know I I look at the results of sobriety and I see and very much assured that this is the the path for me and I plan I plan to stay on it when I think of the struggles that you've been through and I reflect on some of the lyrics of various songs that you've written at different points in your life I'm wondering what the relationship is there you know how have your struggles played into the music or alternatively how have your struggles sort of taken away from the music and your potential yeah I think that my pain has influenced plenty of lyrics and um it's it's given me um a sort of like endless well of of inspiration and they say you know if it's bad for the heart it's good for the art and I I can attest to that do any songs stick out to you or of particular importance plenty I think it ain't me for Selena Gomez and Kygo rings very true to a previous relationship and the pain that I was in that chorus does um so many really it's so hard to to narrow it down but I think there's there's a piece of my story in every every song that I'm a part of. So what has the process been like of writing from a personal perspective, connecting to the process, not just the outcome, to being a conduit to something that is outside of your understanding and channeling that that pain into purpose? Do you think that's only possible through your sobriety? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think my my best work comes from sobriety. My the best version of myself is through sobriety. The best friend, the best daughter, the best sister, the best wife, the best mother, the best all of those things comes is a result of of being the most honest version of myself. I've seen you know when it comes to my career, I've definitely watched it all being taken away from me with drugs and alcohol, I've watched it completely vanish before my eyes. And um, I was able to reclaim that, you know, get into the sessions with some of the most inspiring artists in in the world and um, maintain that for so long with clarity and with peace and with serenity. I'm constantly growing and I'm constantly finding things that need improvement. And it's a, it is a daily practice, but, you know, I wouldn't be here today without AA and without 
sobriety and I just feel very, very lucky. And have you since found some semblance of balance, at least on the macro scale, um, with, with work, with life being connected to yourself outside of the industry in, in recovery? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. I pride myself on now, you know, waking up super early. Well, now I've got no choice, but, um, (laughs) I, yeah, there's like some non-negotiables that, um, I have in my life that I try and if I, if I'm on par with them, if I can stay consistent, I feel the best for sure. And and what was the process of finding yourself outside of alcohol, outside of your career? Like, I'm going to quote you here because I really like this quote. You said, after I settled into sobriety, I felt like a child again. Like I was relearning how to do the things that brought me joy, draw from experience, and not be stimulated all the time. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on what you meant by this and clarify some of the things, tangible things that you've done and perhaps continue to do to protect and nourish the things that bring you that childlike joy. Surfing, for sure. Surfing and just being surrounded by good people, good, positive, um, clear-minded people that are on you know a, a similar journey of um, self-improvement and reflecting, and um, people that up- uplift me and. And that are have good senses of humor and and yeah, I think that's been my my recipe really. When we talk about things in hindsight, we often create the impression that everything is great now, and that's just not the nature of life. Life continues to sort of present challenges and demands. So, as someone who's sober. How do you manage those stressors? My consistent therapy, vocalizing my frustrations, my discomfort, not holding it in. Um, but yeah, it's it's a daily it's a daily thing. I mean, we're we're that's part of the human condition. It's just it's we're flawed, and um, you know we we need to find the medicine that's in in you know all the the wonderful practices that of meditation of exercise of reflecting journaling all of these things actually do help don't do I do them all the time no but if I can get something in that's good for me it it I see you know I see I feel better and so so in this next chapter of your life married newborn baby What does the return to music look like for you? I don't know. I, I think probably a healthier balance with it and shorter hours and, (laughs) um, concentrated. It's a real, going to be a real concentrated, um, plan that, um, because, you know, my, my number one job is being a mom right now and that's really what you know I feel like I've worked have worked so hard for so long to be able to grant myself this time to to 
taking care of him and, you know, and through that taking care of myself and, you know, redefining what, um, my ideas of success are and, um, and yeah, and I think it'll, you know, yeah, the hours will be shorter for sure, but, um, but we'll see, we'll see what, what inspiration sparks and, and I'm open to allowing that to sort of take me to the next phase. Any funny drunkalog stories that you want to share? Oh God. Yes. Um, some that are just way too inappropriate to tell most actually. (laughs) Um, I don't know how funny they are actually. They're actually (laughs) quite depressing, but tequila in the coffee cup, drinking rosé that was like crystallized in your in my car that's like sitting out overnight in the sun and just chugging it just to get by so it's not that funny but there's plenty of of moments that I have to look back and laugh at now because eating eating fucking pizza out of a dumpster oh my god just, just why but yeah was was the alcohol sort of normalized in the music industry no uh, not 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 the industry that I was not the time that I you know I think definitely in the there's a p- portion of it probably but I nobody was really drinking outside of uh, with you know in the sessions that I was in it was really I'd say pretty PG and that's why I came to studio with it in a thermos and <laughs> tried to mask it <laughs> I see so those six months where you tried to return back to drinking what was that like dark (laughs) it was um yeah it was it was just a clear reminder that I I I didn't have it figured out so it was I uh, yeah it was it was pretty painful um but but it was I'm glad that you know, that I had that reminder so that I was able to jump back on, on the bandwagon as quickly as possible. What, what do you think made it so painful? Just that it was a reminder that I, I, you know, had to really embark. I don't know what necessary, I'm not sure exactly what specifically happened during that time, but yeah, I, I, but it was just, it was short lived. <laughs> That's really all I, I can really remember. And I think it was just a lot of the same. If you could go back and tell yourself anything during your darkest days, what would you have said to yourself? Well, it's going to get better. <laughs> That's basically it. Now hold on. And, you know, there is a light. By virtue of your recovery process, you've met, you've likely met a lot of other people who've struggled with addiction. And I'm wondering how have those stories, that community, that support influenced your ability to stay sober? There's so many um, inspiring women, some that I know, some, some really just stories that I've read. Um, but there's the one consistency is that it you know sobriety 
for an alcoholic is really the only way to live. It's only, you know, I think that there's the alternative. It's just, it's a really, um, dark road. And, um, and so, yeah, so I'm, I'm very, I feel very lucky that today I can say that I have eight years of that in my life. And, um, and I hope, and I plan that plan on staying on this, on this path. Yeah. Yeah. It is a a chronic regressive disease that's only downward Mm -hmm. in the music world. Was there someone that you knew personally or looked up to that helped you see a better life? Yeah. I think my, uh, manager and best friend, Jamie Zellick, she's has a lot of sobriety under her belt. Um, and she always, you know, guided me towards light and, and was a really big advocate for AA and, um, and a, a prime example of what, um, sobriety looks like and how to have it all really a child, a, a husband, a very successful career. And, um, so yeah, I definitely owe her a lot. At the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned how different your life looks today, even from just a few years ago. So I'm wondering, as you continue to collect chips and stack on years of sobriety, what are some of the ways in which your perspective or understanding of life has shifted? At this stage in my life, I mean, I, being a mother, I feel an immense responsibility to stay on this path. And, you know, I'm just so grateful my my son doesn't have to see, I never want him to see me drinking. I never want him to see me using. I never want him to, you know, he doesn't have to meet that side of me. And I know that if I stay on this path of sobriety, I can, just my life will be, you know, it'll be peaceful. You know, and I I can't control outside circumstances, but I can, you know, it's the serenity prayer to, you know, to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference that sticks with me. And that's sort of, that's always my mantra is like, and I, I'm not, I'm completely unable to to know that difference without without clarity is there anything else that you want to share before we end no but I might think of it (laughs) at the most inconvenient time okay Allie thank you so much for an incredibly inspiring conversation thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability thank you this has been great This has been Ryan Keneally with the Modern Profits Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and follow the podcast as it really helps spread the wisdom and make an impact.